continuing in our series about the wiles of the devil in line with the counsel from Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 6 from verse 10 to 11 there. We're actually studying uh, 10, verses 10 to 18, but taking it one verse at a time, we're still on the subject of the wiles of the devil because there Paul says, um, Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that we can be able to stand against the devil and his schemes and having done all things to stand. And as we've been studying from the beginning of this year, we find that the wiles of the devil, the scheming of Satan, comes in very many ways. It comes in very many ways. We have treated the issue of temptation, which uh, we did that for a very long time. And now we're on the uh, question of the, on the uh, issue of spiritual assault. And as I said in in the last teaching, spiritual assault to the believer comes in very many ways. And we established that unforgiveness is a spiritual assault because when you choose not to forgive um, a person or any, yeah, a person who has sinned against you, one, you're torturing yourself, you destabilizing your own peace. You cannot have the peace and joy of the Lord whilst you're still full of anger and um, and resentment. And, you know, even worse is the fact that you are directly violating the commands of the Lord. Remembering that our Lord himself told us that if we do not forgive those who sin against us, we ourselves will not be forgiven. Now, um, that is not to say we compromise our spiritual standing. No, but you can, you, you know, you forgive a person does not necessarily mean you continue to associate with them. Because, of course, the Bible does tell us that where we find that a person is of conflicting spirit, a person who is not led by the Holy Spirit, we are told to separate ourselves from them. But um, unforget, uh, unforgiveness comes with certain resentment that you want to see the person hurt, you want to hurt the person, you want to avenge yourself. So it's a totally different thing. So we've established that that is part of Satan's spiritual assault because his purpose is to make you disobey everything that the Lord wants you to obey. His purpose is to make you violate all of God's commands and neglect them and to actually put yourself ahead of the will of God. And so today we're going to talk about spiritual assault concerning self-control. Because if you can, as a believer, exercise self-control in every and any circumstance, you have won 90% of the battle against the devil. Self-control is the ability to do things the, the ability to do things in obedience, with reverence for God, in obedience to God. When you can exercise self-control in every and any area of life, you have won 90% of the battle, uh, you know, of, of the schemes of the devil. Because the schemes is a very, very subtle adversary. You will not necessarily see the devil in every area of temptation and uh, distress you may face. But believe me, he's behind it all. Because it's very subtle. If you're able to exercise self-control, you you have you have the upper hand. Because you know what, um, we cannot personally war against the devil in our own strength. We can't. We cannot. We do not come close. We don't have the power. We don't have the authority. We don't have the strength. What we are commanded to do is to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. When when, when Satan um, when he tempted Christ in during the 40-day period of fasting of Jesus our Lord in before the beginning of his earthly ministry. When Satan tempted him three times in the wilderness, Jesus did not uh, bind him, he didn't curse him, he didn't throw him in any abyss or anything of the sort. Jesus resisted him with the truth of God. That's self-control. You know, as I said before, meekness is 
power under control. That's meekness. Meekness is not stupidity. Meekness is power under control. Now, the, Jesus had the power to do anything he wanted with Satan. You and I don't have that power. But Jesus, being God, could do whatever he chose to. But he laid down a precedent for us to follow. In that, he did not fight Satan. He didn't get violent. He didn't get abusive. As people do nowadays when they say they're, in, they're fighting spiritual warfare. You cannot fight spiritual warfare verbally in that kind of way. You cannot do anything to Satan. Like I always say, the, uh, Satan's power is only subordinate to the triune God. So you and I were very, very weak in comparison to him. But the strength we have is the word of God, the truth of God. And this is why self, when we can exercise self-control, which is meekness in a way, when we are able to do that, understanding in every situation that God has guidance for us in every situation we may face in life. There is no situation or circumstance that we may be in that we do not have the word of God to guide us. And when we're able to bring ourselves under that, um, under the precepts of God, we will find that we will be victorious always. And that's why Paul the Apostle says in Second Corinthians, chapter 10 of Second Corinthians, um, from verse 3, I'll take it. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That is self-control. You see that sort of spiritual power that we have? It's not about, oh, I'm a child of God, I've got the authority, and I take authority over that. We can't take any authority. I mean, when I see people praying like that, it breaks my heart because, you know, they're just wasting their time. And I take authority of other sickness. How many times have I been beside a sick person's bed and I've had fellow Christians come along and pray to him when we take authority of other sickness out and we cast the sickness and the person is still lying there. Two weeks later, they're still lying there. Their lives slowly ebbing away. If you really could take authority, they should have gotten up immediately. That's what the apostles did. That's what Jesus did. Whenever they healed, it wasn't a question of, all right, you know, I've... Uh, I've healed you now, but you know, just take it easy for the next three weeks or so and everything will fall back in place. No, it didn't happen. Whenever they healed, it happened instantaneously. It happened immediately because they had the authority. And this is why I always say that the authority of um, healings and casting out of demonic spirits, we do not have a lot of demonic spirits around anymore as um, they had in those days. The authority was given. Jesus had it because he was God. He conferred it onto the apostles for a time for the purpose for which they were called. Now, the healings we get today are nothing to be compared to the healings in the Bible. And that's why I say, and I maintain it, that the biblical healing, authority of healing that the apostles had and exercised, we do not see today. We just don't. I know we have a lot of people on telly who are showing all kinds of um, healings and things they have done, but a lot of times, following research, they have been found to be fake. And, you know, I'm not even going to go into that now. We will get to that when we get to the wiles of the devil concerning false teachers, because that is a very, very extensive subject. So not to digress from where we are today uh, about spiritual assault, Paul says that our weapons, the weapons of our warfare, we don't wage war as the world does. The world will wage war physically. The world we wa uh, will wage war by maligning, uh, or, uh, or is that the word I want to use, you know? Um, uh, what's the word when you... Um, trying to ruin somebody else verbally. What's the word? Um, <laughs> that word eludes me now. 
But oh yeah, libellous talk, you know, libellous talk and such things. Aha, that's how the world wage war. The world wage war with physical resources, but it's not so. Paul says, with us, our weapons are. They have divine power. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, strongholds are uh, situations that Satan establishes in the minds of people. Like I said, the whole battle with Satan is fought in our minds. Whatever battle, spiritual battle whatsoever that you may encounter is in your mind because it is out of our minds that every good or evil deed that we perform comes. It's all formulated in the mind first and then we manifest it physically by doing it. Whatever it is we're going to do, good or bad, you have thought about it first. You have toyed with the idea in your mind or you have formulated a plan in your mind and then you say it or you do it. That's why Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the the, the mouth speaks. So the battle for uh, ground, for this battle, with standing battle that every believer has with Satan is on the mind. And this is why self-control is of such vital importance. With self-control, which is what Paul was saying, he says, you know, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God are the wiles of the devil. The schemes of the devil. Because as I said earlier, everything he wants to do is to make you disobey God, dishonor God, disbelieve God. In fact, he will make you argue altogether that God does not exist. That sort of stronghold he has established in the mind of unbelievers. Those who say they don't need God. Those who say there is no God. You know, those who say, well, well, I believe there is a God, but certainly not Jesus Christ. God didn't beget any children and all that. All sorts of things. These are all strongholds because they lead to death. Yes, unbelief, unfortunately, leads to death. So whatever it is, they lead to death. And so we have it there. And so self-control, all the apostles spoke a lot. They spoke extensively about self-control, just so we know how important self-control is. As a believer, you simply must. The people of the world are not self-controlled. They do not have it. That's where they are going around doing what they do, talking the way they do, going full of selfish ambition for which they will trample anyone and anything that stands in their way. They do not know when to stop. I mean, look at the entire world. Even the world system has no self-control. People don't know where to stop. That's why the world gets worse. The systems get worse. The, 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 all the guidance we have, you can call it guidance, you know, all the laws and everything are all there to make things worse. The world is more and more daily sinking further and further into depravity. It's sinking further and further into depravity. Everything that the Bible calls sin, the world has multiplied. It's gone beyond what you can imagine. I always say that I do not think that the sins of the world for which God destroyed the first world in the time of Noah could possibly be as grave as things are now. And if it was so vile then that God refused to let the world continue, I cannot imagine what it's going to be now. You know, I cannot imagine the judgment that's going to come upon the world. And it is. This time, by fire, the world is going to be destroyed when God is ready. I mean, look at it. Just look at the the alarming rate of sexual immorality and the permissiveness and every evil that's afforded people in the name of rights. They're not rights. They're wrongs. And they will lead to death. And it gets worse. 
it gets worse. I mean, now, very, very soon, Christian religious studies are going to be banned from, from being taught in schools. I can see that coming. Because as it is, that used to be the only religion that was taught. And then, you know, eventually, slowly, certainly in America now, they no longer allow the Ten Commandments in classrooms, all the things they used to do. I'm not even sure they still allow Christian teachings. And here in Britain, they allow teachings of every religion. Because every religion must be embraced. Every religion is co-equal. And then we have all the charlatan Christian leaders, supposed Christian leaders, appointed by men, obviously, who are all converging together, coming together to build up this ecumenical movement thing, where we know tolerance, we must tolerate each other and embrace one another. No true servant of God gets himself involved in ecumenical affairs. No, because we stand, if you're really sent of Christ, then you will maintain your resolve that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. To the point of death, you will continue to say that. And you will refuse to compromise. But we've got all these compromising leaders, you know, the head of the Catholic Church, you know, the Pope, the the head of the Anglican Church, or their leaders, and all sorts, even evangelicals and Pentecostals, everybody coming together, you know, under the leadership under, under the leadership of the politicians to form these ecumenical bodies, and they all come together for a day of prayer. How can I come together for a day of prayer with all kinds of religious leaders to whom are we all praying we do not serve the same god i don't buy that and how can we come together in day of prayer well we have to leave the name of jesus out of it because you know that offends the other religions you see because uh we maintain christianity says that jesus is the only way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through the son so it's not fair when you're praying with everybody else like the jews the muslims the hindus and all it's not fair that we impose jesus on them and this is our part of the ecumenical practice so you see the world is sinking lower and lower into depravity and of course i mean with all that we can see the um the it's just quickening the um return of the lord because the bible says that these things will happen and will get worse as we go by you know as time goes by when the things start jesus said we should know Let, don't be alarmed it tells us believers just know that's the beginning of uh, birth pains, all the earthquakes and famines and tsunamis and wars. These are just uh, forerunner events. Anyway, so going back, the spiritual assault, the, the, the self-control, the ability to subject every thought, every action to obedience to Christ. That self-control. And if you can do that, you're winning the battle with Satan. If you can, if you can exercise self-control, you will not fall under the scheming of the devil where it comes to issues, spiritual assault. They are of pride and arrogance. Could be spiritual pride. We have a lot of that now. Spiritual pride. People who believe they are so, so, so in a pact with God. They're next in command to God. Jesus is subordinate to them even. Spiritual pride. That's what has necessitated this undying quest for titles and recognition you know as a great man of God and a wonderful woman of God and a great woman of God who are you to take credit from the Lord's work we cannot take any credit we're just fallen men that have been redeemed and if you are truly redeemed and you you truly are called of Christ to service you do it in humility because you know there is no good in you of yourself you can do no good of yourself there is nothing good there's nothing so we've got nothing to boast about, nothing to be arrogant about. And you don't need titles to serve God. 
Because that in itself is a stronghold of pride and arrogance. Many people now suppose that servants of God, you can't even call them by their names. They are offended. And if you call them by the wrong title, you offend them. Because if they say they are called reverend and you call them pastor, you offend them. You get on their wrong side immediately. Because they don't appreciate it. Or maybe they say they're doctor reverend. And you do not add the doctor when you call them reverend. Personally, I never call anyone reverend. I refuse to call anybody reverend because I'm sorry. I don't see what there is to revere about any fallen human being. I don't care how well you've been redeemed or how long you've been redeemed. There is nothing to revere in any man. So I refuse to use that title anyway for anyone. So, and that offends people, I must say. It's gained me a few enemies because people who have said, oh, they've introduced, I'm reverend this, and I've said to them, I'm sorry, but is there any other way I can address you? Because I take personal exception to that title. And, you know, we don't remain friends for too long because they, they think I'm very disrespectful, <laughs> which is fair enough. You know, they didn't die for me, so it doesn't really matter. And we don't have to be friends if you've got such an arrogant spirit anyway. I, I don't do such futile, silly friendships. So there you go. So we've got the uh, stronghold of arrogance, pride. Out of that comes boastfulness, the boasting of what one has and does. People may not only do people boast in their carnal achievements, unworldly achievements, unworldly status and standing, we even have spiritual boastfulness. Oh yes, I have led so many souls to Christ. I have won this many souls for Christ and I and I healed that person and I healed that person and I cast the devil out of this one and you know uh, and I prayed for that person and they got their breakthrough. That is all spiritual boastfulness and it is not of God. It is all rubbish and it's all nonsense. I mean, but John the Apostle said it in First John um, 2, in talking about, we've, we've dealt about this um, extensively, talking about the, um, the channels of temptation of Satan. He said uh, from verse 15 of First John 2, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And when he say, when the Bible says something comes from the world, it's saying it, is, it comes directly from Satan. That's what it means. It comes from Satan, because Satan is the prince of this world, is the god of this age, is the ruler of this world. So every system and every idea that comes that is not godly is satanic. It's absolutely satanic. And so um, people are being caught in this sort of thing where you look down on others. The Bible says you consider others better than yourself. You see, this is spiritual warfare we're fighting. Your ability to, to look at others and see, even though you've got a lot more money than the next person has, you've got more, you're more educated, you've got a bigger house, you've got nicer things materially, you do not look down on people. But look at, look at the churches of this age. Look at the charismatic churches of this age. They have special seats in front rows for special people, the rich and wealthy, the, 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 influential people in their church and those with affluence and all that they they have special they have special seats you know the the pastors and all they have special seats the congregation you know they they sit in, in, you know in, in certain areas and the pastors sit in certain areas the overseer has a kind of throne you know because he's different he's the is the overseer the bishop or whatever he may be. He has a throne-like seat with his wife. You know, they call this one's first lady nowadays. 
such a waste of time. All this madness in what is supposed to be the church of Christ. They are strongholds of Satan. You have been spiritually assaulted if you're one of the adherents to these things. You've been spiritually assaulted. And unfortunately, you cannot stand in the battle with Satan when you are like that because already you have fallen. The fact that you can even see yourself superior to anyone in that kind of way makes me means already you, have some, you, you, you are full of pride and arrogance and you are fallen already. Now the battle with Satan is a standing war. We're going to fight it all the days of our lives. We're going to fight it all the days of our lives. And if you're falling from now already, who knows? Do you know how much time you have? The Lord may call you in the next hour, the next minute. Anything can happen. You may be called out of this world. Or Jesus may return. Now, if you're caught in that fallen state, because if you're not a part of the kingdom of God now that you breathe, you will not be a part of his kingdom for eternity. So you do not have time. You do not have time to think, okay, I'll change my ways later. The Bible says that now is the day of repent or of salvation. Today is the day of God's favor. And people are simply not discerning enough to understand where, devil, where, where the devil has a hand in their lives. We've got to God, spiritual assault. Part of it is depression. Depression, because you know what? If you truly trust the Lord and all the teachings and counsel of the Lord, you have nothing to be depressed about. Because in every area of life, he offers you hope. But people will be depressed because they are not holding on to the word of truth. Because what is that that can depress you? You're struggling to pay your bills, maybe financially. That seems to be the greatest area of depression these days. You know, finances that have gone bad. Now, it's no big deal. The Bible says when you suffer, don't, don't think. Understand that your brothers all over the world are going through the same. You're not the only one. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe your marriage is having problems. Maybe you've got troublesome children. Whatever it is, God has the word to offer. And when you come to understand the truth, that our salvation is not about this present world, then we know then that we have the hope to look forward to. We have all there is to look forward to because we were not saved. Jesus didn't come here so that we can have a fantastic life on earth and have everything in abundance and, you know, have problem-free lives. All of us are going to be married, you know, wonderful fairy tale marriages with fantastic children and, you know, we're going to be the heads of our own business and all those things. That's not why Jesus came. I dare say he couldn't care less about such things. Those things existed before he came. If that was the dire need of man, then all of us would be millionaires. Every, you know, We'd all be in perfect health. We wouldn't even be dying physically anymore. But he came. And he made us understand that, look, although scripture right from the Old Testament makes us understand that this world is, not, this is, is no longer in the state in which God created it. It is no longer walking. It is not the world that God desires. Now God, who created the first world, destroyed its people, saved a few, Noah and seven others, and through them started another race of humanity. It was the same God who Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed because of their vileness and their sinfulness, their evil, saving Lot and his family only. In the same way, this is still the very same God who has said, that he will destroy this world as it is, because it is full of sin, it's evil. But he will save a few. Only this time he's saving a greater number. 
it's not eight as in the time of Noah, and it's not just Lot and his uh, wife who lost it along the way, Lot and his two daughters. No, it's no longer that now. He's going to save a lot more. But then, in comparison to the population of the earth, he's still just saving just only a handful. Only a handful. That's why Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. So we're not saved for here. We are saved for the next life. We are saved for the new creation that God is, as promised, is going to do. He's going to make. He's going to establish it. That's what we're saved for. And that is why in everything, all over scripture, the apostles tell us like, look, you've got that to look forward to. That's your hope. Our hope is not about here that well, I'm going to get my financial breakthrough. I'm going to get my miracle. There's false promises that people keep promising people on behalf of God. Promises that God has not made. That every believer, oh, miracles are the reward. Somebody said that last week. And I got into this. I said, I'm sorry, but that's not true. If that is what you're teaching people, you're lying to them. Say that miracles are rewards for, or, 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 to every believer. No, they're not. No, they are not. What do you need miracles for? The reason we had miracles in the start was to because God was establishing his word and Jesus was proving his deity. And because he sent the, the, the apostles into the world with a new message, the only message of salvation, he gave them power so that the people would know that they were sent of God because they were able to do things that other people couldn't do. God was backing up their words with phenomenal power. Now we've got the word. It's all delivered to us. Signed, sealed, and delivered. There's no need for miracles. Not because God cannot perform miracles. He is God. He can do anything he chooses. But because there's really no need. Now, the Bible says the righteous one, my righteous one will live by faith. We live by faith now. But people want to live by sight. That's why you want a miracle. You want to live by sight. You want God to prove his date. You want God to prove his power to you personally. Even though you say you believe, you believe in that he is God. I believe so much he is God. I look at all the creation. I look at all the beauty of nature. I look at the wonder of life itself. I look at the. I consider the peace and the joy that I have within me since knowing Christ. And I know that God exists. I don't need him to prove anything by miracle. No. So my finances may be funny today. I may suffer poor, poor health today. That's not a problem. These are part of things we have to go through in a fallen world. We have to go through them. They never stay. They go. Your ability to persevere is what will guarantee your triumph over Satan. Because if you refuse to persevere, if you refuse to endure in times of hardship, you will fall into temptation. And that's it. That's the devil defeated you already. You will fall. This is what causes people depression. Their inability to accept their situation and just continue praising God regardless and look forward to the hope we have. This life may be very uncomfortable for you until you leave. Jesus said in this life you will have tribulation. Do you think he was deluded? No, he wasn't. He was telling us the truth. The apostles never boasted of having everything they wanted or anything. No, if anything, Paul tells us about his suffering. They didn't have peace of, well, they had the peace of Christ in them, but they did not have peace with society. These guys were chased and hounded like criminals all over the place. They were killed in such ways as well, eventually. Yet, they continued to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. That coming from a man chained in prison like a, like a wild animal. And it's still suddenly telling us to rejoice. Peter said in First Peter 3, First uh, Peter 1, from verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's where your hope should be. Your hope should not be in that 
financial breakthrough that you keep sowing seeds, endless seeds into the hands of your minister who lives large. He changes his house every year, changes his car every, every new registration thing every six months, and you're still waiting for this breakthrough. That should not be your hope. If that is the only hope you've got, I fear for you, my friend. Your hope should not be that. Your hope, the Bible says, set your hope fully on the on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now that's from Peter. In the same way, Paul says the same thing, gives the same counsel in Colossians. We're not saved for this world. Colossians chapter 3, since from verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That is the hope of the believer. Not financial breakthrough. Not marital bliss. Not everybody's going to have everything in this age. We won't all be married. We won't all have children. We won't all own houses. We won't all have everything. It is a fallen world. We are not saved for here. None of us is going to stay here eternally in the way it is. No. God is going to renew it. He said, I will create a new new heavens and a new earth. That is what we're supposed to look forward to. If you can have that, you'll find there's no reason for you to be depressed. But depression leads people into all kinds of things and has led leading believers into even sorcery. Where you go into fortune tellers. You want to know. You want to know what tomorrow holds in store. You go to all these prophets, all these fortune tellers masquerading as prophets of God who want to give you predictions. Predictions about people's personal lives are not part of of the counsel of Christ Jesus. The wiles of the devil. Spiritual assault comes in very many ways. We're still going to talk about it. There is fear. There's lustfulness. There's doubt and distrust in God. There's demon possession. There's spiritism. There's cultic practices. There's a lot to talk about concerning this. But self-control is the first key. If you can exercise self-control, and we are warned in many ways, we are told about self-control, have self-control. You need to exercise self-control. If you can do that, like I said, you've won 90% of the battle. But if you cannot exercise self-control and you let your thoughts run away with you and your imagination run away with you all the time, the devil is there to guide you into all ways godless. And you will fall. And why should you fall? Jesus died and gave you victory already. <laughs> 